If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com 1212. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this November 4th. 2018. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, it's live. It's a live taping of the uh, John Ziegler World According to Zig podcast and including the burps. But um, in hour number two, we generally do our interview and th- this week is no exception, and it's a great interview because we're uh, joined by Joe Walsh. He is a former Republican congressman. You may recall him, uh, among many other things, for being the guy who called out Barack Obama at the State of the Union address by saying, you lie. Uh, he is now a former congressman who is also a radio talk show host for the Salem Broadcasting Network, as well as on television via the Newsmax cable channel. And he's a really good guy. Uh, In fact, um, not just a good guy, and it's not just because he and I agree on most things, but because he really does believe in the truth. It's it's not a coincidence that he became uh, famous for calling out Barack Obama as a liar at the State of the Union address. Uh, because Joe has done the same thing with Donald Trump against his own self-interest. And he is somebody who um, is not only a believer in the truth, uh, but is a real hardcore conservative. And unfortunately, uh, those uh, two things are in very short supply among people who are in the uh, conservative media these days. And so it is with great pleasure that we uh, welcome Joe back to the show. John Ziegler, I'm a fan of yours. It's always good to talk to you, man. Well, it's especially good to talk to you on uh, this, the uh, Sunday before the biggest uh, midterm election maybe in the history of the country. By the way, do, do you agree that this is the biggest midterm election in the history of the country? No, but I'm not a history. I'm, I'm not a student necessarily of all the midterms. I think we blow a lot of these elections out of proportion. This is a damn important election, but the last few have been very important. See, I think it is, at least in my lifetime, I agree. We, we don't, I, I, I'm not real well-versed in the uh, early 1800s uh, importance of the uh, midterm elections. But uh, to me, this, this very well may be, because it's not just about 
who's going to control the House of Representatives or the Senate. To me, we're almost deciding what kind of a government we're going to have. And what I mean by that, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that if Republicans do control or maintain control of the House and the Senate, and let's say they even expand control in the Senate, it's going to be perceived as Trumpism triumphing uh, and and being vindicated. And I, I believe that the next two years we're going to see uh, effectively Donald Trump doing whatever the heck he wants and that the form of government that, that we believe that we've had for over 200 years may be in jeopardy. And, and, and so th- that's the way I see it. And I know you are, are in a little different position uh, on Trump, but I'm curious, what do you make of someone who, who believes what I just said? I agree with a lot of it, John. Look, I agree with a lot of what you just said. I, one of my biggest, most profound disappointments of the last two years is all of my former conservative colleagues in the House, all of my former Freedom Caucus guys who have, like, gotten down on their knees and stopped believing in everything they believed in to basically bow in front of Donald Trump. You are correct. If the Republicans hang on to the House, then the behavior of these former colleagues of mine is going to be even worse and Trump, as stupid as he is, is going to think somehow he's got another mandate. And hell yeah, he'll overreach these next couple of years. All right. Now, Joe, I find you to be maybe the most interesting uh, conservative commentator that there is because you are in a, a pretty unique situation. I don't know anybody else who, uh, for instance, is working for, you you do a radio show for Salem, you do a a TV show for Newsmax, which are very uh, pro-Trump media outlets. You're a former very conservative Republican congressman. You you praise Trump at times, yet when you go after Trump, boy, do you go after Trump. And so I'm I'm curious, uh, first of all, where are you on on Donald Trump as of today? And um, and and where do you think you're going with with him? Uh, because you you well, don't it, it, it doesn't feel contrived with you. A lot of people I feel it's very contrived and strategic. With you, I don't feel that way, and that's why I love you. So give me a sense of where you are on Trump right now. Uh, John, there's nothing strategic about me. By the way, you and I are probably tied at the hip on 99 percent of this. I guess the difference is. Like, I voted for Trump, and even though I knew when I voted for him that he was an arrogant ass who didn't speak the truth, I was perceived at the beginning of being more of a pro-Trump guy, unlike, say, you and unlike Ben Shapiro. What's happened to me over the last two years is I've moved much more toward a, uh, this guy is a really bad guy. So... I suppose if I had my, if I said what I said now, if I had said that two years ago, I, I don't know that I'd have a syndicated radio show or a TV show anymore. I came at this from a pretty conservative viewpoint as somebody who voted for Trump, but I've moved away from him. Here's what I think. He's an absolute ass. I don't believe a word he says, um, but I'm still every bit as crazy conservative as I've ever been. Correct. Yeah, that, that's well, that well said, uh, Joe, and I really respect that. I, I am curious, from a media perspective, how difficult is being one of the few people 
who has moved further away from Trump in the conservative media. Uh, you know, other people like you mentioned Ben Shapiro and Glenn Beck, I think, uh, has moved much more towards Trump, possibly right. out of from a professional standpoint. Well, it's been difficult. I, I think it's look, I've still got my syndicated radio show with Salem. Um, I, I'm I'm certain, John, and it's no secret. I mean, Salem wants all of the radio hosts to be, you know, nonstop pro Trump. That's yep. a constant issue with me. I'm sure it's limited my growth with Salem. Look, I'm not on Fox News anymore. Fox News told me about a year ago, I love you, Joe, but you're too critical of Trump, so I'm not on Fox News. <laughs> I used to do a hell of a lot of MSNBC. They told me I'm not critical enough of Trump. <laughs> so in a weird way, I don't have any TV anymore. You mentioned Newsmax TV. Yeah, they're conservative. But it, it's an odd position to be in because I've moved in this direction. And I'm trying to think, John, I don't know. I mean, you've always been consistent as you've been opposed to Trump. I don't know of any other people who've moved in my direction. Ben Shapiro and a number of others, for whatever reason, have become more pro-Trump. That's 100 percent accurate. And, and I am baffled by that from a principled standpoint because – as anti-Trump as I was before he got elected, I have to tell you, Joe, that other than on judges, and I have given him enormous credit, especially for yeah. sticking with Brett Kavanaugh, that other than on judges, based upon what he has dollar investigation, I think this is way worse than I expected <laughs> it to be. Are you in that same boat? <laughs> Oh, I do, because, John, here's what I think Rubio were president right now. Ugh. You and I would have our damn tax shit, and we wouldn't have all tired of these people who do try to dance this dance, and they try to be cute and funny with Trump. No, to me, some of the things he's doing, it's not funny. You need to call him out and not be cute and clever with it. Well, there's so many things that that fall into that category of this is not funny, although, you know, I, th I believe we've become so desensitized, and I predicted this from the beginning, and this is, I think, part of Trump's strategy, and, and part of it, unfortunately, from a cynical standpoint, is, is brilliant. He has desensitized us yeah. to so many things that in a normal world would create earthquakes. Uh, we see it almost on a daily basis, but, but, you know, one of the things that comes to my mind, because there's a the conventional wisdom is that after the midterm elections he's going to fire finally Jeff Sessions his treatment of Jeff Sessions alone yeah. I mean what if, I mean if this had been uh, I mean Jeff Sessions is a a tried and true conservative his first uh, major political endorser during the campaign he has treated him not just like crap on a personal level he has broken all sorts of norms and standards with regard to the relationship between the president and the attorney general and and yet the the republican even his buddies in the senate sit there on their hands and do and say nothing I mean, is that, a, is that a good example of what you're talking about? Hey, John, John, it's absolutely horrible, because I know Sessions, and you're right, Sessions is a great conservative, and every conservative in the House and the Senate loves him, and every conservative in the House and the Senate despises the way Trump is treating him. But they do not have the balls to call Trump out. I, I, I find, and, and by the way, John, you know, look, I'm a hardcore. Sessions has been phenomenal on certain issues. Yes. 
especially the border sanctuary cities and issues that conservatives believe in. But Trump has treated him like shit. And D.C. Republicans have said nothing. You mentioned uh, your former buddies in the Freedom Caucus. Uh, How do these guys rationalize or do they rationalize the explosion in spending and debt that has occurred under their watch, which, you know, eight years ago under Obama led to the uh, Tea Party movement. How do they do that, Joe? uh, Every night they go to bed and they say a prayer for forgiveness. John, I don't know. Look, I talk to these guys privately, and they, they, in private, they're disgusted by it. But to a man, they say to me, uh, Joe, uh, there are other priorities than when you and I got here eight years ago. Uh, we got other things we got to do. But, th- but they tell me privately, John, they don't believe that. If this is what frustrates, and maybe it's what 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 they what they what don't they believe, Joe? I'm just to be they, clear. They don't believe what they tell me. The deficit mm-hmm. and the debt still matters to them, and they'll even tell me privately on the phone, uh, "Look, Joe, we got other priorities." And then they'll say a minute or two later, "Look, I know, you know, it pisses us off, but what the hell with Trump, we can't say anything." So they still privately care about the debt and the deficit, but again. They don't have the courage to say anything publicly because of Trump. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't. Ha- I, I don't have any sympathy for that. I mean, this is why you got elected. This is why you, you, you supposedly came to Washington. This was the, the number one issue, and it is. And it. And you already referenced it. If there had been a, for instance, President Rubio, I, I don't believe the spending would be anywhere near where it is. Uh, I don't and, either. And, and by the way. It wouldn't be under President Hillary Clinton either, because under President Hillary Clinton, Republicans in Congress would would be holding the line on spending like it like it was, you know, their their their, their lives depended on it, because there would be no repercussions for going up against uh, big spending uh, by Hillary. You agree with that, right? I do, I, yeah. uh, John. Look, I think they've all made their bed. The conservatives in the House and Senate. I think they all know, deep down, I know, because too many of them have told me this privately, they believe Trump's a bad guy. But, damn it, they're going to bite their tongue until he's off of the stage, whether that's in two years or six years. Do they not real- made their- do, do, But do they not realize that it doesn't work that way? Do they not, no. you know, in all seriousness, that they, do they not realize that this is not a situation where uh, once Trump is off the stage, as you put it, that is everything's just going to go back to normal. It's not going to work that way. This is changing the Republican Party and what's left of conservatism forever. Do they not see that? They don't see that, John. They don't. They fundamentally. And look, I was there. I was in the House. Every two. All you see is two years ahead of you. All you see is I got to get my ass reelected. And that's what most longer care about that than they retire. And we saw a bunch retire this year. You, you will see a bunch retire in 2020 if Trump's at the top of the ticket. I wrote a column this week, and I'm very curious to see uh, what your response is going to be to this issue because you may disagree with me on this. I don't know. Um, but I wrote a column this week about how uh, Trump's emphasis on issues related to illegal immigration heading into the midterms is a cynical political ploy that not only isn't sincere – but actually, in the long run, hurts the cause of border hawks. And I'm a border hawk. I live in Southern California. I see every day the negative impacts of illegal immigration. And I would love 
for some of the things, not all, but some of the things that Donald Trump ha- has promoted over the last three years to actually be yeah. done. But he has done almost nothing on the issue except demagogue it in a way that has now made his positions politically toxic and impossible for anyone to ever implement in the future because, among other things, they'll always be able to say even Trump wasn't that crazy or that racist to do X, Y, or Z, and that Trump is purely manipulating the people he duped into thinking that he himself was the ultimate border hawk. He was going to build this great wall. That wall was never going to happen. It was There was never any chance it was going to happen. And then, in fact, he is the greatest gift to the pro-illegal immigration people that they could have ever imagined. Am I right or wrong on that, Joe? I, I think generally, John, you're right. Look, I'm I'm a hawk. I want a wall. I don't want anybody in this country illegally. There should not be anything called sanctuary cities. But you nailed it. Trump doesn't give a damn about this issue. Trump doesn't care about any issue. Trump cares about Trump. He doesn't care about this. Uh, so, so, yes, he's fear-mongering. Yes, it's all cynical. And, yes, if the Democrats take over the House, look, he'd cut any kind of a deal. Uh, whether it includes a wall or not a wall. And, and he's had five opportunities to demand funding for his wall in the last two years, and he hasn't. Why? Because he really doesn't care about it. You see, that's the part that, that actually pisses me off. I mean, I get pissed off when, you know, reasonably and decent, most de- they're not all decent, but most of them are decent people, are being duped. Uh, and he knows that he's doing this. Yeah. He's manipulating them. He's actually doing things that are against, in the long run, their self-interest. He's talking a good game, but in reality, he's going to harm any chance of ever, forget about solving, even combating this illegal immigration problem. And, and, and to your point, he doesn't care at all about the actual issue. In fact, I'll bet deep down he's pro-illegal immigration. I mean, look, I mean, in his own actions, in his own company, he's never done anything that was anti-illegal immigration. And, and um, you know, as you said, he had numerous opportunities to fight for the wall. But what I see all the time is, and he, and he knows this, he gets no blowback from what, what I refer to as his Colt 45 following because yeah. they, they, blame, they blame the Republican Congress for not doing anything that he, he wanted done. I, I mean, it's, it's he set up a situation where it's almost impossible for him to take blame for anything, and and that's just not healthy. Uh, I, I, well, you... and John, and, and I guess then to play your point out, if, if Donald Trump next July or August, he announces he's running for president in 2020, and he has not begun to build that wall, there was a part of me that believed a lot of his voters would say, screw you. I'm no longer convinced of that. Um, so many people just, you rightly call it a cult. Um, my fear is if he doesn't deliver for them, these people may walk away from politics and never believe in anybody else ever again. See, um, that's, I agree with that, but I might describe it slightly differently. See, uh, this is why I don't believe that um, that your former colleagues in the, in the Republican Congress uh, are, are thinking straight when they think that we'll just survive Trump and everything will go back to normal. Uh, a lot of these core voters, 
I think they were one-time Trump voters anyway. Yeah. And yeah. and and so you know I, I don't and it's going to be fascinating to see. You know, we're going to get to, into this in a second. Fascinating to see whether or not those people are going to turn out for Republican members of Congress on behalf of Trump. I mean, since we're there, why don't I ask you that? Do you believe that Trump's strategy, which is clearly get out his base, his Colt 45 members on behalf of Republican members of Congress, do you think that's going to save the day for Republicans? Um, I think it was his, again, you know I don't like him, but I think it was his only play. I think it will guarantee they'll pick up a couple seats in the Senate. Um, I think it will minimize our losses in the House. Look, we're still going to lose the House, and I think the, I think Trump and his people knew that a while ago. So what Trump wants to do, because it's all about Trump, he wants to pick up a net seat or two in the Senate, and then the egomaniac he is, he can say, look at I delivered, I saved the Senate. They're going to lose the House, but because of Trump's strategy, I think they'll minimize the losses to maybe 30, 35 seats, and he will be able to claim some sort of a victory. I see, I see around the country, John, I see more Republicans uh, enthusiastic and coming home because of Trump's strategy. It's not enough to keep the House, though. How confident, uh, you seem pretty confident that the the Democrats are going to take the House. Is that based also on conversations you've had with your former colleagues who are still in, in the House of Representatives? Yes, and in private, they are incredibly pessimistic. And they've, they've, they've been that way, John, for a while. See, I, I agree that, that there's a very good chance the Democrats are going to take the House, but I also, it sounds like what you're saying, I agree with, is that I don't think we're heading for a massive blue wave, like a you know unprecedented fifty seat pickup or something along those lines, something like you know what one you know the Gingrich pickup during the Clinton administration, right. you know something that was just huge. Um, and I think part of that is because one, the economy is good. Uh, two, maybe it's because of the the strategy that Trump has has implemented to try to 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 save as many people as possible by by you know appealing just to the base but let's face it and i and i have i have a very good friend john yarmouth who's a democratic congressman in kentucky who's probably going to be yep. the, the head of the next the, the budget committee for the next uh, congress um and and i have uh, have talked about with him about this for hours and hours about how nancy pelosi is going to cost them at least 10 maybe more seats maybe 20 seats because she is just a terrible person to have as your spokesperson and potential yeah. next speaker of the house you agree with that yeah i do john i do think it's a, i do think it's going to be a wave i think you know we our definitions of what a wave are get weird look the senate was always against democrats it's not fair to judge anything by the senate because of that playing field um, but typically in wave elections, like when I got elected in 2010, Republican enthusiasm was through the roof. The Democrats were in the toilet. What Trump has done is he's built up Republican enthusiasm. So you actually have high enthusiasm among both sides, which will minimize, I think, some of the losses in the House. So... <clears throat> And I see where you're going with this is that in reality, Trump's going to lose on Tuesday. But, of course, he'll declare victory. And yes. And, and of course, a lot of his supporters will buy that. And, 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 oh, by the way, John, again, knowing what you and I know about Trump, 
I think his team went in front of him a month ago and said, you know, if you really work hard, Mr. President, we got a shot to maybe save the House, or you can travel and do all your rallies in these red states, and we'll pick up a couple Senate seats. And Trump said, screw it, I'm not going to take the risk of the House. I don't want to be blamed for that. I want the credit for the Senate. So if I can do rallies in Indiana and, you know, Montana, then then I'll get the credit. So I think that's what Trump wanted. That's that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. But you're right. He's clearly focusing far more on the Senate and and he's doing and he's doing so strategically in in red states where he thinks that uh, at least there's a good chance that the Republicans could win those races. And so John, he has separated himself from the House. So that when they lose, and he did that on purpose, when they lose the House on Tuesday, he can say, well, look where they sent me. Everywhere I went, you know, we kept the Senate, baby. Hmm. Wow, that's so classically typical Trump and and, and so dastardly in so yeah. many ways, but uh, also effective. I mean, he is he is a, uh, a guy who is a survivor. There's no question about that. I mean, look, they, they, I mean, I, I, as you, I don't like the guy at all, but he is a survivor, and uh, and I, I do think that he'll probably end up, quote-unquote, surviving this election. Uh, although, I, you know, I, I do think that—what do you think about this theory, Joe? I, and I am someone who's in your uh, camp, that this is not—we're not looking at massive blue wave. But what, if, what about the possibility, underlying possibility— that coming out of 2016, and I've worked in the polling industry briefly for Quinnipiac University uh, many yeah. years ago, so I, I understand it pretty well. What if there is so much uh, hesitancy that the polling industry is so gun shy about what happened in 2016 and, and Trump pulling off this massive upset? What if there is a hesitancy among the pollsters and, and that they are either consciously or subconsciously skewing their polls in a way that makes it look better for Republicans than his actual reality. What do you make of that possibility? I actually, John, I actually think that's brilliant, and I think there's a lot of that going on. I really do. I mean, when you think about it, there are about 90 Republican seats in play. You and I could wake up Wednesday morning, and they could lose 60 to 70 seats. Uh, John, Steve King in Iowa is neck and neck. There are hardcore Republicans right now around the country in the House who are in neck-and-neck races. But I think you're right. The pollsters were burned in 16. Uh, They underestimated Trump. So I think in many ways they may be overestimating his strength right now. I think that's possible. And I'm I'm in that boat, by the way. I mean, I I was as wrong as anybody when I I thought that Trump had very little chance. I think I gave him like a 10 or 15 percent chance of of winning, uh, you know, just before the the presidential election. I was dead wrong, although he lost the popular vote pretty significantly. So I'm gun shy as anybody. I mean, I'm looking at this and, you know, I've got a a very good friend who works for a incredibly pro-Trump, effectively state-run media outlet who has been for months telling me we're heading for the biggest blue wave of all time, uh, yeah. and this is going to be a disaster. And I keep telling them, ah, I'm just not, I'm just not sure about that. Uh, and I can, I could, you're you're convincing me that this is a very low probability. And as I as I already referenced, John Yarmouth uh, texted me this morning that he's very confident they're going to win the house. So I, I, well, I, I, but I, I John, look. Um, 
you're, the Democrats are going to set records for a midterm. I mean, they really are. And, and what Trump's done is just rile up and piss off his base. So the Republican turnout is going to be pretty strong, too. But look at, I mean, Trump became president because of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. He's getting his ass kicked right now in all three states. Republicans are going to get their butts handed to them in those congressional districts in those three states. It's not going to be a good night for Republicans. All right, so let's take that premise, and I, I hesitantly do that because we never know, especially in this bizarre age. But let's let's take that premise that Democrats are going to win the House, and it's not going to be like by one or two seats because – I actually think, and I've told Congressman Yarmouth this, the worst possible scenario for them is to win the House by a couple of seats. Yeah. Uh, do you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, that would be the worst possible scenario. That would be the best thing. If Trump could design his perfect scenario, and re, you know, yeah. being realistic, he would have the Democrats win the House by like two or three seats, and then just sit back and watch the disaster take place because yep. it would be a disaster on every level. There'd be a fight over whether Pelosi was going to be the speaker. They would have no power to do anything. Impeachment would be off the table. Uh, the, yep. the, the, so all of that, that let's put that a scenario, which I think is possible. Let's put it aside for a second. Let's say Democrats win the house by, you know, a decent enough margin. Let's say they have a 10 seat margin or something like that where they are in actual control for effectively. And uh, obviously the first thing everyone's going to turn to is Robert Mueller and possible impeachment. What, yeah. where, where do you see us heading under that scenario? Well, uh, again, and I think you, eh, maybe you and I aren't joined at the hip on this. I actually have always believed there's something there with Robert Mueller, and I believe within a week or two after these midterms, we're going to see some stuff come down. I, I do believe there was some sort of a conspiracy. So I think there will be some serious charges. If that's the case, then the Democrats would have to move kind of toward impeachment. I wish the Democrats would just let Mueller do his job. But if he does come out with some serious findings, John, they're going to have to move toward some sort of impeachment, which, as you know, weirdly, might not help them in 2020. Well, first of all, I, I've gone back and forth on Mueller since you, you seem to be uncertain because I, I understand why you're uncertain because I've, I am, uh, I'm of the belief that Trump is more than capable of doing the things that a lot of people yeah. have presumed that he is. I just don't know that he was competent enough to do it or that Mueller can prove it and because right. and, it's a very difficult thing to prove, although – as I, I get into arguments on Twitter from time to time with, with Trump cultists who, who say, after all this time, there's no proof. I said, well, I, my, my, my argument always is, well, gee, if, if only there was a videotape of him asking Russia to hack into Hillary's e emails, or if only, right. if only there was a meeting at Trump Tower involving all the highest people in the campaign, which was lied about consistently by both the president and his son. If only those two things happened, then maybe we'd have some actual evidence. And of course, yeah. and of course, both of those things have happened. Um, and yep. and and, yep. If, and if only if only he had fired the FBI director for, in his own words, his handling of the Russian investigation after having uh, told the FBI director to go easy on Mike Flynn and that he needed his personal loyalty. I mean, th to me, but it's 
John, if it's just obstruction, if at the end of the day all Mueller has is a solid obstruction case, which is the minimum of what he's got, right. is that enough to do anything about him? Well, you're somebody who, who at one point would have been in a position to vote on this. Uh, yeah. I, I happen to believe that it is, and I don't know if you know this, but I, I, um, I don't know if confronted is too strong a word, but I, I, a couple weeks ago at the Reagan Library, Ken Starr was speaking. And, right. and I asked him a question because he refused to do an interview with me, which was weird because, I don't know if you remembered, but I had done a very, very long in-studio interview with him when I was a KFI radio host in Los Angeles yep. and yep. was very sympathetic to Ken Starr. I like Ken Starr, but Ken Starr has been saying that the firing of Comey is not an impeachable offense. And I think Ken Starr is mistaken about that because I don't think he's thinking it proper, thinking it through properly. I get that the president can fire the FBI director basically for whatever reason he wants and it not be impeachable. But here's why it is impeachable in this case. Because once he fires Comey, it puts a completely different context into the conversation that he had with Comey where he says, go easy on Flynn and I need your personal loyalty. Right. That right. The, when, Once he fires Comey, those conversations, in my view, become impeachable. And the reason why I was so incensed with Starr, uh, you probably remember this, Starr recommended impeachment for Clinton based in part, in large part, on a conversation Clinton had with his secretary, Betty Curry, who was yeah. not the FBI director, it was his secretary, which was remarkably similar to the conversation right. that, that Trump had with Comey, who was the freaking FBI director. So if if Clinton, and I, and I, I think Starr's being very uh, closed-minded and narrow-minded and, and hypocritical here. And frankly, I think it's because he's selling a book to cult members. I think that's a large part of what's going on right. here. Um, but I believe that if, if the conversation Bill Clinton had with Betty Curry after uh, Clinton lied in the Paula Jones deposition about Monica Lewinsky, if that's impeachable, which I believe it was, then I believe that the conversations that Trump had with, with Comey, once he fired Comey, that's impeachable. Am I, where am I wrong about that? No, I, John, I'm actually with you on all of that. The bottom line is Mueller, Mueller's going to be back in the news within a week or two. And the Democrats will control the House, and the temptation is going to be strong for the Democrats to go after Trump. They would be smart politically not to, unless there's something serious there. Uh, because, look, they, they've had great success in this campaign focusing on health care, um, and growing the resistance to Trump, if, 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 if they become a really easy enemy for Trump to go after for two years, uh, I think that'll hurt them. Well, uh, so you're just saying they should just wait instead of... And, and by, by the way, I think they've been fairly decent for them. I mean, they're not exactly known for, yeah. for being disciplined. But, you know, the, the, the party line has been... You know, let's wait until what Mueller has to determine whether or not we we do impeachment. But I mean, Mueller would basically have to say almost exonerate Trump at this point. If the if Democrats took the House, uh, they will be under enormous pressure from their base yes. uh, to impeach. You agree with that? A absolutely. Here's the there are so many lies and misconceptions about Trump, which is makes all the sense in the world because his whole life has been a lie. You, you know, John, his his poll numbers always go up when he's not in the news. He always thinks when he's out there saying the stuff he does and tweeting, and when he's doing that, his numbers go down. 
when he's not in the news and, and people aren't focused on Trump, his numbers go up. If I'm the Democrats, and I can't stand the Democrats, but if I'm the Democrats for the next two years, I just let Trump be Trump. Let him say and tweet his stupid shit, and that's going to hurt him for 2020. I, I tend to agree with that. I, I think a lot of it, and in fact, I think a lot of what he has done on illegal immigration was purposely done to provoke Democrats into overreacting. Yeah. Uh, from a political standpoint, I, I view this kind of gets me into a slightly different subject, which I'm curious to get your reaction to. But I view a, a lot of what Trump does, and, and it, there's some political brilliance to this, even though I disagree with it ethically. But when, when Trump says he's going to do something that he has no intention of doing, right? And it, you know, like for instance, allowing the military to to fire right. uh, at, at the caravan should they ever finally months from now make it to the border um when when he does that he is doing it because he knows democrats will lose their minds the media will lose their minds and they will expose to the to the average american how weak they are on the issue of illegal immigration and that that will be a benefit to trump right i mean that's his strategy correct uh, that, that's it's the bouncing ball strategy, and that's what I mean. John birthright citizenship. Trump's not going to do anything with birthright citizenship, right? But he, every day he wakes up and he, he he bounces a ball, and he makes the Democrats and the media chase the bouncing ball. He doesn't believe in anything. I don't think he believes in a damn thing, except for himself. And uh, making sure that he gets reelected. That's all he cares about. Right. But just to, to forward this line of thinking a little bit further, might not be going where you think I am. And that is, I'm beginning to view Trump as almost like a national radio talk show host who's, yeah. not, who's not really president, but he's, he's plausibly president. So we have to pay attention to everything he says because... On this one thing, he might really decide to do it, even though on 90% of the stuff, he's not really going to do it. He's just playing talk show host. What do you make of that perspective? Agreed. That's actually, John, that's actually a really good way to put it. I mean, and, and you look at, I mean, if, if we really were able to examine his daily uh, time in the White House, I think we'd be amazed by how very little official time he spends doing official duties. He spends a hell of a lot of time just watching TV. There's a lot of, quote, just private executive time. I don't know really, and he's doing all the rallies. I mean, he loves getting on Air Force One and campaigning. But as far as literally being president, I think we'd be amazed at how little he actually does. Correct. But so I think where we're going with this is, and maybe this isn't the worst scenario, although it's pathetic that we're even talking like this. And Woodward's book, Bob Woodward's book, certainly leads one towards this conclusion. Joe, do you agree with those, and, and again, I might be close to this, who basically think that Trump is effectively playing the part of president, but that most of the real decisions are not being made by him? Is, is, is that fair? I think that's probably pretty close. I think that's the way he's lived his life, but he ran a private family business, so ultimately he made the decision. Now he's president of the United States. Uh, there are a crapload of decisions that are made without him. 
I, I do believe that. And, and, John, I believe that most everybody working around him has learned how to work around him. Uh, and they keep things from him. And they make decisions without him. I think there's a lot of that that goes on. And on a day-to-day basis, when there's no massive crisis, I can actually see where that isn't, as I've already mentioned, the worst possible scenario. But what scares the daylights out of me is what happens if there's a real crisis? Right. And and there's no possible way, because I think that... There's a chance that Trump, a decent chance, Trump gets reelected because Democrats are going to lose their minds in their nominating process and come up with a terrible candidate. So there's there's no chance that we're going to get through eight years in this kind of world that in which we live without a legitimate crisis where that kind of of government can't work, right? I mean, am I wrong? Well, and John, that's kind of the weird irony of Trump. Because I don't believe he cares about anything, what he's done is he got himself elected. He's patting himself on the back. He's got his TV set. He's got his phone. So he does his tweets. He lets people just do their thing. And so somebody like me, who's a conservative, generally is happy from a policy perspective with a lot of what Trump's administration has done. Look, Trump doesn't give a damn about the Supreme Court. He farmed that out a long time ago. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care that Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are on the Supreme Court. So in a really weird way, maybe this is where you're going, for conservatives, it's an opportunity that Trump doesn't care about any of this. All he wants to do is just sort of have the title and have the TV camera in front of him. Oh, I've referenced um, him on Judges as kind of like being the worst spouse in the world, but who understands that you don't screw up Christmas or birthdays yeah. or anniversaries, and and so he so on the on the biggest moments uh, he has come through, and and I, I agree with you that he doesn't give a damn. That's the that, the great irony of all this. Maybe one of many great ironies is is that a guy who doesn't care at all about the issue may have done more to solidify a conservative Supreme Court than anybody in the history of the country. Uh, and, and it and and may still have the opportunity to do that in the future, depending on how how the how the breaks go. But um, I just and, and that's fine. But I just don't know how you sustain that over an eight year period, uh, where the world can change in a heartbeat, and we're living in a very dangerous uh, you know time period. And so that that's that's the part that scares me. And there's also, by the way an incredible opportunity cost here. We had an enormous opportunity uh, had we had we elected a, a, a legitimate Republican, a legitimate conservative, someone who knew what they were doing. We with a Republican Congress, largely because uh, of temporary demographic realities and, a, and the Democrats putting up a terrible presidential candidate. Had all that occurred without Trump in the equation, we would be so far ahead of where we are right now. And we are going to rue this and regret this for so long because this was a unique opportunity that's not coming back, in my view, because now the demographic shifts are going to go against Republicans as all of our people start dying off in big numbers. And and I just, I just, I've always believed and I still believe that we're going to look back on this in 10 or 15 years and go, oh, Jesus, what the hell did we do? It's going to be like a, it's going to be like a, it's going to be the aftermath of a big drug party. 
I mean, we're, you know, it feels good, but we're getting almost nothing done. We got a tax cut that wasn't paid for, and we got a, 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 a conservative judge that, by the way, it's important to point out, yes, I'll give him Gorsuch, fine, great. But Kavanaugh wouldn't be on the court either if Hillary had won because Kennedy wouldn't have retired, all right? So, right. so, so we're, we're talking about incredibly small gains here for enormous cost, in my view. Well, and, and all of the gains, John, are typical, classic Republican gains. Tax cuts, deregulation, the conservative justice. Look, I take a longer view. To me, Trump is just a battle. I got elected 2010, the rise of the Tea Party. I think the country's divided. I think Republicans are fucked up. Democrats are fucked up. The media's fucked up. And by the way, that's why Trump got elected. Yeah. I think this thing... This divide is going to play out long beyond Trump. Oh, no, there's no question that Trump is a um, is a symptom much more than a cause of all this. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think he's helping it. I, I think he's now making it the norm. I, I, I think especially if he's reelected, it's just going to be this is the way we do things. And that's that's not going to be uh, remotely healthy, uh, although the alternative and, and, and the Kavanaugh thing really brought this home for me. The alternative in some ways is worse because Democrats have lost their minds so much that they're not to be trusted either because if they ever gotten into full power, oh my gosh, they would actually get things done. That's the part that scares me. They wouldn't screw around. They would be getting things done uh, permanently. Yeah, you're right. You're right, John. And look, never Trumpers who I respect, like Tom Nichols, who I got all the respect in the world for and he and, and Max Boot and some others are, are saying that you have to vote Democrat this year uh, because of the greater constitutional concerns. I, I don't know that I buy that yet. I really don't. Well, for the record, my position on this is I, I'm rooting for a Democratic House and a Republican Senate. I, I cannot possibly allow the Democrats to take the Senate uh, after, yeah. after what we saw with Kavanaugh because, heck, you know, Clarence Thomas could die in the next two years and and it would be a complete disaster, uh, among other things. One other thing before we go, because we, we, we kind of left the subject a little uh, more quickly than I, than I wanted. We were kind of game planning out here. So the Democrats take the House. Uh, Mueller comes back with something serious. They impeach uh, Trump uh, with probably zero Republican votes, which will be pathetic. Um, yeah. and, and and then it goes to the Senate, where presumably the, the Republicans will have some sort of control over the Senate. And the and the conventional wisdom is it's dead on arrival in the Senate because no Republicans will break ranks. They'll be all afraid of, of doing so. And it'll be a sham trial, just like what happened with Bill Clinton. I think that's the most likely scenario. But, I, you know, my, my good friend, John Yarmuth, I've, I've referenced a couple times already. He's from Kentucky. He knows Mitch McConnell really well. He doesn't like Mitch McConnell. He has always told me, you know, there is a chance that Mitch McConnell, these are my words, but I think he would agree with them. There is a chance under that scenario, McConnell knifes Trump in the back for the, for the good of the, of the party and the, and the country. What do you make of that uh, possible scenario? I think that's very possible. And again, it, uh, John, it, it de- I, obviously, it depends on what Mueller has. Maybe right. I'm naive. But if, if there is a case for conspiracy as well, uh, that the Trump campaign conspired with Russia to affect the election, 
for the life of me, John Ziegler, I don't know how even Republicans in the Senate could not consider that to be an off-the-chart serious offense, um, especially McConnell. So, so, so if that's the case, yeah, I could see McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate getting some backbone, if only to save themselves in 2020. As always, very interesting stuff. And, and Joe, I really, really appreciate the honesty of, of your commentary, especially under the circumstances that you find yourself in with your radio talk show, uh, radio talk show and your TV show. Uh, you have uh, done so uh, against your own self-interest, and you deserve an awful lot of credit for that. So, hey, 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 just, just make me a promise, Ziegler. If I lose my radio and TV show, I can come out there and be your assistant. How about that? You, you don't you you want no part of that. Trust me, because because <laughs> I'm I'm going down in flames way faster than you are, Joe Walsh. Uh, um, but uh, but but at least we can sleep well at night. Um, and, Amen. And, and, in all seriousness, Joe, thanks so much for the time. And let's keep in touch. All right. You got it, brother. Thank That's, you. That's uh, Joe Walsh, uh, Salem Radio Talk Show host and Newsmax uh, TV host, former Republican congressman, and one of the very few people who will actually uh, tell the truth. Uh, against their own self-interest, who's in the position that he is, and he deserves an awful lot of credit for that. Uh, so um, that there's our about as good and as honest from a conservative perspective that uh, is not part of the Trump cult uh, that you're going to get on the coming election on Tuesday and the potential ramifications of what will happen based upon the results. I hope if you haven't already, check out our number one of this week's podcast where I go into further detail on my assessment of where we are and where, what's likely to happen on Tuesday and what it will all mean in our news review section of this particular podcast. And in addition to checking out our number one, make sure you just do uh, two things I always ask you. That's all I ask. I do this for free. And I ask you uh, to just, um, one, Make sure you share this via word of mouth or social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. If you tag me, I'll be sure to share it as well. And number two, do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah, they're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh, no wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again? <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.